good Wednesday morning to you all. It is time now for your Berkshire Hathaway bi-weekly podcast from the studios of Grand Forks Best Source. We've got realty expert John Brodeen standing by. We'll talk with him right after this. Life with its many stages. From the my little one has just arrived stage to the I have arrived stage. From the first home you'll ever buy to the one home you'll have forever. No matter where you find yourself in life, your forever agent will be there. Berkshire Hathaway Home Services. For you, for life. All right, and we are back, and welcome once again. He's back at the studio, your realty expert, John Brodeen. How you doing, man? Good. How are you? Good, good, good. How's the uh, wife and family doing? Awesome. Yeah, really good. Yeah? You look different today. I do? Yeah. Is your hair getting curlier or longer or something? Yeah. You didn't permit, did you? No. Or this humidity does so much mess to my hair. No, I no. don't know. <laughs> Whenever my hair gets longer, it gets pretty curly. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. It's not a bad problem to have. No, so no. it's not a humidity thing. I don't know. It could be, I guess. <laughs> I, I guess I don't know either. I, I just hear, I've heard women complain about it. Oh, yeah. Oh, this humidity, it just messes up and then it messes my hair up. I don't get it. But then yeah. again, I've shaved my head, so. Maybe that could be why it's been so curly lately. No, I, that could no be. No idea. Yep, yep. Um, how's things going for you? Yeah, really good, though. Good, yeah, good. Yeah, we had fun stuff going on with uh, friends last weekend, mm-hmm. a couple of friends for 30th birthday parties. So. Okay, and not to mention, you got to have your very first Father's yeah, Day. How yeah. about that? First Father's Day. It was awesome. Yeah? So, just, Feel any different being a dad? Um, Yeah, a little bit. Just I'd on say. Father's Day? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's good. I, I like it. It's, um, you know, it, it definitely, I feel like there's more to my life. Now, mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Okay. I, um, I actually, yeah. It's oh, hard that's, to put that's, it into words, but yeah, it's it's awesome. Yeah. And you, you know, every day uh, when you have a small child, it's it's pretty cool. Yes. Yeah. It's pretty cool. So, all right. Um, what are we going to talk about today? So today I'm going to be talking, so selling real estate, helping people make wise decisions when they're purchasing a home and personal finance really go hand in hand. Whether okay. it's getting you to a place financially where you're able to buy a house or helping you make the right choice when you are buying a house to keep your personal finances in in good order. All right, so um, uh, knowing you, John, I'm guessing there are rules. Yes. Because you're kind of one of those, you 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 like what's in front of you. You put things on paper. You yeah. follow. It's got to be rules yeah. on how to fix or keep your personal finances. Yes. So these are some rules that are from a variety of different kind of personal finance experts, um, taking some that I like and, you know, Mm-hmm. From from various different people, uh, but you, a few of them are from Dave Ramsey. So okay, f- we're first going to talk about three pretty easy rules to fix your personal finances. If your personal finances weren't aren't where they need to be, um, these three rules will really get you on a good track. People's biggest th- this is part of the reason why this relates to real estate is because people's biggest expenses are usually housing, transportation, and food, or it's starting to become where it's housing, transportation, and debt, especially. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, especially when people have a lot of student loan debt or credit card debt or something like that. Um, So we're going to address all of those things. So housing costs, whether you're renting or you're owning, your rent or your house payment should be under 25% of your monthly after-tax take-home pay. Um, This makes sure that you have enough money left over. You're not house poor. Um, You know, sometimes 
you'll hear people who will say go up to up to 30, which mm-hmm. if you live, if you're at either a lower income or you live in a really expensive city, um, I see that I've heard it as 30, um, of gross, mm-hmm. which is a lot higher. Yep. That's, that's yep. allowing you to spend a lot more on housing. Again, if you're, if you're lower income or you live in an expensive area or both, you might have to push that a little bit further here in Grand Forks. It's a pretty, you know, cheap area. Um, compared sure. to the rest of the country and compared to some of the large yeah metros. i mean you don't want to have yourself a beautiful home and then you have company over and you're sitting in lawn chairs because you can't afford to furnish it and yeah. uh we're going to eat uh, potato chips and salsa because i can't afford to feed you yep exactly <laughs> okay so keeping housing costs under 25 percent of your after t- after tax monthly income um Bonus points if you own a home and it's on a 15-year loan and you keep that under like 30%, oh, yeah. ideally under 25%, mm-hmm. that's like the golden standard. That's sure. the very best thing you could aim for. Um, it's going to make sure you have a lot of money to save towards retirement, save towards an emergency fund. We'll get more into that stuff later. Mm-hmm. Okay. So transportation, probably the second second biggest cost for most people's household budget. If you're not doing a budget, this is kind of a no-brainer, but um, look at your past few months of spending, get an accurate idea of what you're spending on each, make categories. Categories are going to be different for each person, yep. what, what you prioritize. Make sure that your spending matches your priorities, and then it gives you an expectation. Make sure you're not spending more than you're earning, and these rules help you kind of achieve that sure. because it makes sure you're not spending too much on these big things. Mm-hmm. Transportation, the value of all of your vehicles, so cars and like recreational vehicles, boats, whatever, um, should be less than 50% of your after-tax yearly income. So if you're making a hundred grand a year, the total value of all of your vehicles should be less than 50 grand. Sure. Okay. The reason for this is um, if you have payments on them, you want to keep your payments at a reasonable amount. You don't want to be strapped because you've got $2,000 worth of vehicle payments for your car and your boat and mm-hmm. your four-wheeler each month. And it's also because vehicles are a depreciating asset. Right, right. So you don't want too much. You don't want to be investing so heavily in things that go down in value because that's just, it's going to not be good for your net worth. It's going to really hurt your financial progress you can make with your personal finances. Um, I would encourage people, I run into this all the time where people are saddled by a really high payment on their vehicle and they're they're making 40 grand a year and they're driving a $40,000 car. Right, right. I would encourage people in this case to, you probably want to sell that car and downgrade it as mm-hmm. much as it sucks because, and I mean, there's no way you put that much of a priority on driving a nice luxurious vehicle where you're willing to sacrifice basically every other aspect of your life for it. Well, you know, and I know people like that yeah. uh, and it's like, how did they do it? Uh, they must just be one payment book after another. Yeah. And, um, pretty soon you, you got nothing for anything else. Yes. And, and if you can, it's best to buy a cheaper car and pay for it all in cash. Yeah. You don't want to, if, if you only got three grand to spend, maybe you do need to take out a loan because mm-hmm. you, you need a car in this area. It's not a walkable right, area, right. winters and everything, but get a reliable car, get a used car. That's a few years mm-hmm. old. Dave Ramsey says, don't buy a new car unless you're already a millionaire. Oh uh, boy. You know, buy a car that's, you know, four plus years Mm -hmm. old, maybe four to eight years old, where all of that quick depreciation has already passed. Sure. If you're buying a brand new car, you're going to have some really steep depreciation for those first couple of years, actually immediately after you drive it. Yeah, you could you could buy a used car for 10,000 and sell it three months later for 10,000 when that's not going to happen when you buy a new car, because as soon as you wheel it out of the uh, lot, it drops a lot. It depreciates a ton. What do you have when you buy a new car and drive it off the lot? A used car. Exactly. Yeah, perfect. Yes. Um, 
buying a used car that's a few years old still going to be reliable. You're not going to have a bunch of expenses for repairs. And if you're going to finance a car, you should put at least 20% down and have no more than a four-year loan term. And the car payment plus insurance should be less than 10% of your after-tax monthly income. Okay. So I'll say that one more time. This is something you want to write down because this is a really good thing to know if you are going to finance a vehicle. Put at least 20% down, no more than a four-year loan term, and the car payment plus insurance should be less than 10% of your after-tax monthly income. These are I love these percentages of your after-tax monthly income for stuff like this because it it you know the 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 bank might approve you to buy a $50,000 car and you're making 70 grand a year, but that doesn't necessarily mean you should do that. This is what you can really afford yeah. comfortably and still keep your finances in order. Sure. Nice to not not very cool to have a really nice looking car in the driveway because you can't put gas in it. Yep, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so number three, debt. Um, so the goal is to become completely debt free, excluding your mortgage. In step three or in rule number three, set up automate automatic payments to help pay down your debt with that extra money you have left over each month. Um, there's two methods that are the most popular for debt pay down. You may have heard these things. Uh, you've probably heard Dave Ramsey talk about the debt snowball method. That's when you start with your smallest debts. You get that, put everything at that smallest debt until you pay it off. Then you start working on the next smallest debt, throw everything at that until you pay it mm. off. Um, this mathematically is not the best idea mathematically to save the most money you would want to be throwing as much money as you could at the highest interest rate first sure but what this does help with is it gives you an instant reward and helps you build up some momentum so if you're the type of person that maybe has a hard time sticking with a plan maybe you're good for a couple months and then you kind of fall off the wagon and you you quit easily this is a great way to see some progress where you can make progress and you can get that reward of getting that smallest debt paid off mm-hmm. first. And then the second smallest, you're going to see those rewards much faster. and It's going to feel much better. Okay. The more mathematically um, wise move is using the debt avalanche. And that's if you have an easier time staying disciplined, you don't, don't need that instant gratification quite as much. This is mathematically smarter because this is when you start paying off the debt with the highest interest rate first. So you're going to be um, getting rid of the debt that's basically costing you the most money right. first. Okay. Um, so pick a plan. The The best plan is the one that you can actually stick with. So Now, the- and, and, and it's funny how I said this at the beginning of this show that um, – you're kind of a list guy. Yep. Uh, you, it, but that's the thing. Um, there are people that make lists to have of their lists that yeah. they make. But of all these people that make the list, you nailed it. Yeah, you yeah. got to follow easy. it. Yep. You, you have to follow it. You don't go through all the, the, the you know, the the work of putting together this list and not following it. Yeah, it's going to be better if somebody does the debt snowball method and sticks with it for three years and becomes debt free versus the person who tries the debt avalanche and makes it for three months and then quits. Mm -hmm. So once, once you've completed steps one through three, so your housing cost is less than 25% of your after-tax income. The value of all your vehicles is less than 50% of your after-tax yearly income and your vehicles are paid off and all of your other debts, excluding your mortgage is paid off. You are in a great financial position. You are set to be able to save a lot of money. Um, So after that, um, saving up, keeping an em- developing an emergency fund is going to be pretty important. And now you're going to have a lot of money that you can save because you've allocated that money to debts. You've gotten rid of debts, 
And now you don't have a car payment. Your housing cost is reasonable. As long as you're not go- going out to dinner at Michelin five-star restaurants every mm-hmm. night, your food, you know. Yeah. Don't, I did, I and didn't, then posting put, selfies with it. Yeah. I, I didn't put food in here, but that's kind of obvious. You know, the less, it depends on your income too. Well, I mean. you know, when you, when you look at some of these, uh, you know, rent or own, you should have 25% or less of your take-home pay. That's after taxes. Yep. Uh, you're talking about uh, vehicles, you know, with all your vehicle payments and everything, uh, 50%. Um, your insurance payments, no more than, you know, 10% and all yeah. this. But If you have a payment. So payment plus okay. insurance, less than 10%. All yeah. right. So right there, I mean, you know, we're already pushing 85% or whatever. And and you have to throw in that emergency fund. Yep. A lot of people think they're doing great till something happens, and you need a couple thousand dollars to fix something. Those emergency funds seem to be something a lot of people lack. Yeah, and we're we're probably actually actually at a lot less than eighty five percent because um, ideally, so our our house payments twenty five percent of our monthly income. Okay, we don't have a car payment ideally, and we uh, you know we don't have any debt payments, so we're just paying on our rent and our mortgage and our food and gas and um mm-hmm. you know and insurance but those things are minimal so once you've done this and then you begin working to save up an emergency account and it depends on your risk tolerance and stuff like that some people might opt to have uh you know only a three month three months worth of living expenses in an emergency account um other people like me for example my i'm commission only um, mm-hmm. commission only so self-employed my income's not guaranteed it can fluctuate wildly. Right. So I'm more comfortable if I have like six to 12 months worth of living expenses in an emergency fund. So it's going to depend on your risk tolerance and, and how, how steady and sure your income is. But putting, getting that money into your emergency account, the goal here is when you start investing, you don't want to have to dip into your like retirement account or your investments in order to pay for an emergency. Um, you know, you don't, cause then you could be selling investments at the wrong time and taking a loss. Your goal with investing is to never really touch it again and basically forget about it. So once you've got your emergency fund set up and maybe you allocate a thousand dollars a month towards your emergency fund and you put 250 into your retirement account or something like that's fine, but you do want to focus heavily on that emergency fund until it's filled up to where you want it to be. Okay. And then, you know, at a minimum, save 10% of your before-tax income towards retirement. Um, I, I watched a video on YouTube the other day, and it said in China, the average family has like a 46% savings rate, which is um, they put a really high emphasis on saving money and frugality. Wow. And in America, I've heard different uh, numbers from different places, but anywhere from 3 to 6% is the average American savings rate. So we're spending a lot more and saving a lot less. Saving 10% towards retirement, I think, is kind of the bare minimum. What you want to do, and so that's number five, um, the next step up, kind of popular in the FIRE community, that stands for Financial Independence Retire Early. Those are people who want to have the option to retire way earlier than usual. These people are living really frugally and usually earning high incomes, but they're shooting for a 50% savings rate. Okay. And this is possible, especially if you have a high income, a paid off house and living frugally. Um, So maybe you decide to really throw money at your house until you get that paid off so you can achieve a 50% savings rate. Maybe you have a goal of retiring at 40 Mm -hmm. or having the option to retire at 40 if you wanted to, or even just take five years off of work and travel the world when you're 40 or who knows what. And then the end goal, number seven is financial freedom. This is when you have 25 times what you spend each year in your investment accounts. So this is this is basically saying that if you have 25 times what you spend each year in your investment accounts, 
you can live off of the interest that you're earning in those investment accounts and your retirement portfolio is never going to go down in value based on the historical data from the market. You know, there's, you could run into like, if you got into the worst possible timing, it could be tight. But the idea here is you don't have to work if you don't want to. Um, so it's basically saying you can live off of 4% of the total value of your retirement accounts. If that 4% covers all of your cost of living, you've reached financial freedom and you don't have to work to earn income if you don't want to. Wow. So I guess my uh, emergency fund of six to 12 days doesn't quite cut it then. <laughs> How does somebody get a hold of realty expert John Brodine? Um, so if you want to learn more, you're trying to buy your first house, maybe 701-213-5428 is my cell phone number. Uh, send me a text. Give me a call. I'd love to answer questions. Uh, if you just want to learn more about the market and learn more about real estate, follow me on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, uh, subscribe to me on YouTube. I'm on all those platforms posting content all the time. Well, you know, they don't call him a realty expert for nothing. John Brodeen says, make a list and follow it. Follow what he says. He'll be back again on Friday for this Wednesday. There you go. That's your Berkshire Hathaway bi-weekly podcast.